Well, good morning, Fairhill Church. All right, if kids want to head out to the kids' lesson, they can do that. All right. So last week, uh, we were looking at what was sort of a, what Steve called a, a sandwich. All right, so we started out with uh, this whole passage that's revolving around the Passover. And different people are relating to Jesus and assessing the value of Jesus in the midst of this Passover feast. We saw the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And they had decided that they loved their own power, their own righteousness, their own position far more than they valued Jesus. We saw this woman who had spent near, nearly $60,000 worth of perfume and she's pouring upon him. That was the value that she had put on Jesus. And then we saw, of course, Judas Iscariot who sold his Savior away for 30 pieces of silver. All of these people trying to figure out, okay, what is, what is the value of Jesus? What is he worth? What am I willing to give? What am I willing to trade for Christ? And today we're looking at, uh, at that true value, a glimpse into the value of Jesus through the, the lens of that Passover feast. How does Jesus' reinterpretation of the, of the Passover, how does the connections with the Passover, how does it show the great value and beauty and, and greatness of Jesus Christ? That's what we're looking at today. And then particularly, we're going to see how that connects to, to the Lord's Supper. How do we also see the value of this, this gift that's been given to us, the Lord's Supper? What doesn't seem like this simple thing. What are we supposed to see in it? And how do we see the great glory and value of Christ as we participate in this, this sacrament? So with that, let's go ahead and look at Mark 14, verses 12 through 25. All right. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent them, uh, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher, where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready then prepare for us. The disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as they had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup when he had given thanks. He gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather here and we thank you for the the sacrament that stands before us. We thank you even more so for our great Savior. We thank you for the fulfillment of of all of these symbols of the Old Testament, we thank you that we're no longer mired with the weight of sacrifice and the law, with the ritual and with the, the mere pointer to something greater. We thank you for Jesus, that the, the fullness of all of time and all of salvation has come in him. And Father, we ask that you might help us to, to value Jesus to see him as he is, to believe in him, to have true faith. Father, would you shape our hearts that we may love Jesus and delight in him more and more and see his great value and the, the value of what he's done for us. So would you fill us with your spirit as, as Tom was saying? Would you give us what we need that our hearts may be softened to these truths we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to begin with the Passover. We're beginning with the Passover, and I'm not really going to get into the details of this. Uh, they are hosting a, a Passover feast. Now, for some of you, that means a lot. For some of you, you have no idea what that means. And so, uh, because we are gracious with those who are new to us, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So, uh, what is the Passover? The Passover is this yearly feast, this holiday, that harkens back to the days when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And so under the, the leadership of Moses, God was going to save his people out of slavery. And part of that whole process was sending plagues to convince the Pharaoh to, to let his people go. Plague after plague after plague. Seeing the, the power of God that he might relent and, and let, his, let his, the slaves the Israelite people go. And as this, the last and final plague, God said that he would send the destroyer. This destroyer would come and kill every firstborn son in Egypt. Now, we think, well, oh, it should only happen to Egypt. But the reality is that, no, it was everyone was under the, the curse of the destroyer. It wasn't just that they were, it wasn't that the Israelites were any less sinful. It wasn't that they deserved to live. No, they stood under the curse. And so God gave them a provision to protect them from the destroyer. This is the Passover. This great feast that they would celebrate and they would partake of together that would protect them when the destroyer would come in the night. And so they would take the Passover lamb, they would kill that lamb and take its blood. And over there, their doorposts, they would paint that blood. Then they would cook that lamb and eat of it together as a household. They would eat the lamb and the unleavened bread. This bread without yeast, kind of unstained by yeast. And through that, they would be protected. That though they deserve to be destroyed for their own sins, 
the, the destroyer would pass over their house and leave their firstborn sons unharmed. Now, that indeed did happen, and the people were protected. The firstborn sons of Egypt died, and Pharaoh finally relents and lets his people go. This is the great process of the exodus, the leaving of slavery, going into the desert that they might enter the promised land of Canaan. This is the start of this, some of the, the greatest workings of God in all of human history. It starts with this Passover, the saving of his people from destruction. And it's not just that that happened once. That then became the, a yearly tradition. This becomes the holiday that all of the Israelite people then partake in. And yearly, they gather together and they partake of the Passover feast as a chance to Remember, yes, but also to, to reenact and to, to remember that they only exist that because God saved their people. And that in that Passover, they were saved in a, in a sense. They were saved alongside their ancestors, that they might be brought into life and be part of this great nation of, of Israel. All right. So, that is the Passover. This meal that the Israelites would, would come together and celebrate. It's, it's that, that that Jesus is calling his people to be prepared for. That's the, the meal that even the religious leaders, they say, you know, we, we don't want to start too much in the midst of the Passover feast. That would cause riots. That would cause uproar. This is this extremely sacred day in the Jewish calendar. All right. Now Jesus, he's going to, He's going, to bark, like, he's going to enact that, that very same feast, but then he's going to totally reinterpret it as a fulfillment and pointing to himself. All right, but before we get there, we, we see, okay, there's a call to respond to all of this. When we see the call to respond, the call to actually understand who Jesus is and to, to put their faith in him through the, the example of one who does not. This one who fails to recognize Jesus as he is. Who doesn't have real faith and who partakes of this as just a mere ritual. Judas Iscariot, verse 17. When it was evening, he came to the twelve. They were reclining at the table and eating. Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. The son of man goes that is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. All right. So there's great danger in, in the partaking of the Passover. This is a call to, to something very sacred for the nation here. And it's reserved for the people of God. It's reserved for that nation. For those who had been kind of officially and brought into the nation who were part of the people of God, who'd been circumcised and been, been recognized. That yes, this is their God. This is the one that they follow. And we think that the greatest danger is, well, if you don't take part in that, then you get destroyed. All right, there's a second danger. 
for the Passover that we can partake of these amazing rituals and they can be merely rituals. We don't unite them with real faith. And that's the situation with, of course, with Judas Iscariot. And that has always been the case throughout history. That there are always those who partake in the ritual, who are witnesses to all of the miraculous things around them, and yet they don't have real faith. One of the sad things about the Passover is, yes, they just, they just saw the miraculous happen, that they were protected, that their, their sons were saved. They're finally let go, and yet, uh, within a few hours, they're standing at the Red Sea crying out, Lord, Lord, why did you, you bring us out of Egypt just to murder us in the desert? All right. Faithless already. Only to watch God then part the Red Sea. And they go through the Red Sea, and, and what do they cry out then? Lord, Lord, why did you bring us into the desert that we might starve to death? And so, what, and they don't have faith to see that you can provide manna in the desert. They say, we're thirsty, you're, you're here to kill us once again. Water from the rock. All right, they go on, and they're guided by a pillar of fire. And a pillar of cloud, like clearly their God is with them. But when he's up on Sinai, they say, you know what? We don't have a God to worship anymore. Let's, let's worship idols instead. Or worst of all, they're being brought into the promised land. And they say, well, there's no way we can make it in there. And that whole generation perishes because they don't have faith to see that God can destroy a city with a trumpet blast and nothing more. Right. Now, all of those people, all of those people, they witnessed the, the Passover. They, they partook in this meal. They did all of the right things. They saw all the right things. They said and did all the right things. Judas Iscariot, of all the people in all the world who should have, understood who Jesus was. All right. He was there for the miracles. He was there in the boat when the sea was, was stilled. He was there to watch the, the resurrections. He was there to watch the exorcisms. He was there to watch and hear the, the teachings of Jesus, to hear like the secret meanings of the parables and was given all of this knowledge. But... He didn't bring one thing to the table that he should have brought to the table. Many of the Israelites, they, they partook of all of these rituals. They saw all of these signs. And yet, what did they not bring? They didn't bring real faith. They didn't bring real faith. They were merely observers. And that they didn't really understand who Jesus was. They didn't put their faith in him. They didn't put their faith in, in this one who could save them. Now, why do I say that? I say that to remind us, all right, this is not magic. This is not a replacement for faith in Christ. This is not just something that you come and do and 
It goes on your spiritual report card. Right? All right, for, for some of you, you, you don't primarily think of your, the whole point of all of this is faith in Christ. No, you think of this as, all right, what, what's the point? It's to call yourself a Christian. It's to do the right thing. It's to, it's to get here as much as you can. And right, ultimately, it's to, to try hard to be a nice person who, who says that you are a Christian and believes in God and is doing your best. All right, there's a great difference between putting your faith in Christ and putting your faith in all of the rituals that surround Christ. Right. If you do not come to this table with faith in Christ and all of your hope in Christ, depending ultimately upon Christ, this does nothing for you but condemn you that why you were so close? Why didn't you? Why didn't you believe in him? Hebrews three and four. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Who were those who heard yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? To whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to the people who were disobedient? So you see, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. This is, this is Hebrews interpreting all of those, those Old Testament wanderings. And they're saying, all right, people didn't make it because of lack of faith. Not because of lack of doing the rituals. Not because they didn't try hard enough. Because they didn't ultimately believe in their hearts. Now, what have you seen? What do you know? And does it translate to real faith? And we're going through Christianity Explored, and it's basically a look at, at the, the Gospel of Mark, which we've already seen, and just like asking us, okay, do you really believe he did this miracle? Do you really believe that he is God? Do you really believe that all of these things that he did, that he actually did them, and that has some impact on your life? All right, it's great. It forces all of us to recognize, okay, if I really have faith, then where does that put my future? Where does that put my hope? Am I living under it? Because I realize oftentimes, I have faith for the past, not the future. I can look back and see, oh yeah, no, uh, God actually did pull me through. But then I look future, and I don't have any faith. Just like the Israelites, they're like, yeah, wow, look what he just did. That was great. And then they make it to the Red Sea and no more faith. And again and again and again, we act like that. And we, we lose our heads because of the, the next thing that enters our lives. All right, what is faith? Faith is, faith is hope for the future, for the things that we don't see. 
you have faith that can, can actually see you through. That you know the consistent character of God. You know his salvation. You know his provision. You know the miraculous working. And if you're in his hands, if you are under his rule, then you should have abundance of faith. I should have more faith. You should have more faith. You have the faith that will will keep you until you see him actually working. Now, there's, a, there's an application here that I'm thankful doesn't apply to us anymore. All right, Judas betrayed his Savior. Judas betrayed Jesus. I'm thankful that was a time in human history that has passed. That in a sense, we can't betray Christ the way Judas did. And yet, Christ knew of it. He predicted it. This was not a shocker. This was according to Scripture. And Jesus knows how to deal with those who, who abandon him. He, know, he de- deals with his betrayer. That's, that's the role that he played. Now, thankfully we are not in that place, and thankfully we are given these warnings so that we might actually change. You can actually be a person and say, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a Judas. I don't want to be someone who denies him. I don't want to be someone who's faithless. I don't want to be someone who just goes to the rituals. I, I want to follow Christ. I want real faith. I would call you to believe. Put your faith in Christ. Trust in him and let us all trust in him together. Amen? All right. Now we're going to look at the actual Passover and Jesus' reinterpreting of it. So, uh, Let's see, how does he recast the Passover feast to help us understand who he is and what he was trying to do here? Verse 22. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. He took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. All right, you should be relatively familiar with that. All right, that's what we say every week when we do this. Uh, This is the institution of the Lord's Supper, the communion. The Eucharist, these are all the same thing. They're just stressing different aspects of this great meal that we, are, we partake in as Christians. As followers of Jesus, this was the first enactment of the Lord's Supper that we then celebrate forever onwards. And, all right, what does it mean? What does it mean? All right, first, we have the bread. The bread, this is my body. All right, does that seem weird to you? It should be weird to you because Jesus, he, he ultimately, he should have taken the lamb. All right? Because we, we, we talk constantly about he's the, he's the lamb of God to, to free us from our sins. He, I mean, there's all these parallels in the Old Testament that like the, the lamb of the Passover, is never, it's, its bones are never broken. And then we see this, this fulfillment that Jesus' bones are never broken, that Jesus is the great lamb of God. We sung about it this morning. And then, we, then Jesus picks up the piece of bread. And we think, well, why? Why? Why didn't he pick up the meat? <laughs> he said, why doesn't he say, this is, this is me, this is I'm symbolized. Uh, all right. Why does, he, why does he choose the bread? All right. He chooses the bread because if he chose the meat, well, first of all, every time we come here, we'd have to have a lamb on a spit. So that would be, that would be tough. All right. <laughs> and you'd all be in charge of it one, after one week. Uh, all right. 
But what would that mean? That would mean every week that we celebrated communion, someone would have to die. Something would have to die. And the whole point is, no one has to die anymore. Nothing has to die anymore. You don't have to die. I don't have to die. That creature over there doesn't have to die. That Jesus was the once for all sacrifice for all time, and it's done. No one else is dying anymore because the one who needed to die, he has died. That's why the, the temple is destroyed. That's why the, the sacrificial system ends. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that death, all of that payment, all of the, the justice and wrath poured out. Jesus is the end of it. Now it's just a piece of bread reminding us that the sacrifice has already been done. Thank the Lord that it's not lamb. That the sacrifices aren't still going, that death still ensues. No, now it's, now it's the resurrected one. We partake of his, his completed once-for-all death. All right. Application for that. Are you still offering sacrifices? Are you still offering sacrifices? Now, most of you don't have a, a lamb that you're cutting the blood out of. Uh, I know that. But some of you still approach God with this kind of guilty, what can I offer him today? How can I suffer today that he might receive me? All right. There's no more of that. No more sacrifices for the Lord. All right. Your greatest sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise. You're not called to suffer anymore. You're not called to pay off your guilt. You're not called to, to cover up any of your shame. Like, it is done. If you ever approach the Lord with that kind of mindset, what can I sacrifice? All right, it's done. It's over. There was a once and for all sacrifice. All right, now let's talk about the, the blood. The blood of Christ. Why does the wine become the, why is this the blood? Well, once of all, it, once, once, once again, the, the thing that used to be totally dominated by blood, it has now become wine. There's great beauty in that. Once again, no one has to die anymore. But the, the reality is that there was a, a, a blood debt that each of us paid. That each of us ought to shed our own blood for our sins. That's the wages of sin is death. That's how it works. And now Christ is saying, no, you can, you can receive my blood without paying any of your own. Here, drink this wine. It'll count as my blood washing you clean from sin. That you may be completely covered. You may be completely atoned for the blood shed for the remission of sin, for the cleansing of sin, for the forgiveness of sin. All right. Do we have great joy in that? You see the great value of Christ in that. All right. Let's let's talk. Let's talk that then. Uh, if that is so valuable, what is it? What are we supposed to think about when we partake of this? All right. First, first, the mystical union with Christ. Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. 
and we kind of take that seriously. All right, there's a tradition that, that takes that way too far and gets goofy about it. All right, we are not saying that this is the, the physical, transformed, miraculously actual body of Christ. All right, we don't say that. There's theological reasons for that. Ask me about that later. Most of you don't care. All right, but some of, some of you are, are know why I'm saying that, and you very much care. Uh, all right, but it's more than just this remembering. That there is something powerful that takes place here. Christ doesn't just say, this, this kind of just represents my body and my, my blood. No, it's more than that. And so we're trying, we're trying to weigh both these things and stay in the middle and say, all right, there is a real, powerful, mystical, spiritual union with Christ that he is truly present here when we partake of this. And that there's a real union with Christ. We say that that's spiritual. It's a spiritual union with Christ. It's a spiritual partaking of his body and his blood. All right, but it's real. And it's a reminder, I think, what, what a powerful reminder that Jesus would say, you know what, I, I want to be united with you. I want to dwell inside of you. I want to be with you. And so, here, eat my body, drink my blood. We talk about all these things like, like oh yeah, you're, you're united to Christ, or Christ is, is with you, or all of the things of Christ are applied to you. And then we have this picture of it, and it's like, whoa, it's real. It's like, he put forth this picture of it and this enactment of it that is, was astounding to the people and shocked them. That you are what you eat, and then you partake of, of Christ. All right, when we do this, we, we think of the great union that we have with our Savior. And that we are truly seen in Christ and covered in Christ from the inside out. I won't say literally, but almost literally. All right. Think of that when you're partaking of the supper. All right, it's a reminder of our great salvation. It's a reminder that, yes, you had a destroyer that you had a price on your head and there's nothing you can do to get rid of that sin. All right. You have it and no amount of good works, no amount of trying hard, no amount of doing nice things to try to cover it up, no amount of denial, no amount of ritual even is enough. What do you need? You need Jesus Christ to give you the means of of your sins being passed over. That he may just go right over your head, that he might not see them. That his blood might wash away your sin, that his body might be broken in your place. That is salvation for us. That is the only salvation. And if that does not make you value Jesus, then nothing will. We were dead men walking. And now we have the the eternal life given to us in Christ, forgiveness of sin. All right. Let's keep going. There's good stuff here. All right. Verse 24. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. All right. Jesus, he's enacting a new covenant. A new covenant that's based upon 
ultimate freedom. Remember we said before that it's just, the, the Old Testament was just bogged down by blood and death. I've talked to non-believers, and they're like, what? There's like a lot of blood talk here. This is crazy. There's so much death. And that's, yeah, that's the, the reality of where we stand. And that used to be just constant reminders of sin and judgment and death. Because the, the ultimate one had not come yet. That the Spirit had not been poured out. That the, the ultimate power of freedom from sin had not been given. And now we stand with Jesus, the, the once and for all sacrifice. Now we stand with the gift of the Holy Spirit, with changed hearts and, and renewed spirits and, and true freedom. Freedom from the law and all of the oppression of the rituals but also freedom from all of the guilt and the shame and the, the desperation to try to work off some of this debt. All right, it is all forgiven. That's the beauty of the new covenant. We're not looking for anything more. We found it all in Jesus. All the things that have pointed to him, there he is. Here he is before us. A new covenant. And finally, finally, this ought to be a reminder of the future to come. Verse 25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now remind us that that, that Passover meal, they weren't supposed to just eat, eat the Passover, partake of the Passover, and then just sit there. No, they were brought into this whole new trajectory now they leave slavery, they leave death behind, they enter the desert, and they make their way to the promised land. All right, this new feast that we have before us, all right, we are now a desert people. We are no longer enslaved, we are free, and now we, we, are, we are walking together as the church. We are moving towards this eternal home. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says that, you know, I will not partake. I'm not going to drink any more wine until I'm with you there. And that's where that, that is the mentality that we are now in, is that we are a people waiting for our Savior. We're, the, we're a bride waiting for her groom. We're a people on our way to our ultimate home. And yes, we are in the desert. And yes, we are called to, to forsake and to leave behind, but not so that we can just sacrifice and beat ourselves and feel depressed. No, we're, we're an engaged person waiting to be with our great spouse. And anything we give up now, we give it up that we might have an appetite when we get there. He might ruin our meal, but we would, we'd have fullness of joy when we make it to Jesus' side. All right, that is the mentality that we have as a people. And this is, a, this is an appetizer. It's supposed to be bad, all right? I know some of you gripe about the, the communion cups, and it's like, it's, it's supposed to be bad, all right? 
It's a reminder that there's something coming that's going to be amazing. The wedding feast of the Lamb, when we have fullness of joy and we will be with him for all eternity in just utter contentment to be with the one who loves us and that we love in return. Let this give us once again an appetite for Christ that we may delight in him and look forward to that day when we are with him in paradise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have prepared human history that it might point to all of your glories, that it might understand, uh, help us to understand the, the value of Jesus. Father, we ask that we might help us to, to see these deep spiritual things and to, to understand the, the meaning behind them. But Father, ultimately, that we may love Jesus and value him. That we may know the salvation that ours, is ours in him. And Father, that we may endure until we make it to our wedding day. We thank you for all that Jesus has done. We thank you that he has washed us clean by his blood and presents us without spot or blemish on that day when we will be with him and we'll never have to leave. Father, would you give us uh, endurance and would you minister to us through your supper? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.